You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome in. I am Kenny Ortiz, and this is Theology for the Rest of Us, episode 275, coming at you from the great metropolis of Minneapolis, Minnesota, the the Twin Cities region. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Thanks for allowing me and this podcast and the people I bring on the show. Thank you for allowing us to have a voice in your life. Uh, In this episode, I'm going to bring you an interview that I had a chance to do with Dr. Jason Dusing. Dr. Dusing happens to be one of the professors at the seminary that I am currently attending. Those of you who are uh, followers of me on social media or you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that I am currently in seminary over the last few years and I've been working toward a master's of divinity. I'm quite close to being complete, just a few few months away. Excited for that. Love my time in seminary at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And one of the professors there at Midwestern, uh, Dr. Dusing, um, is going to be the guest for uh, this podcast interview. I am really, really excited to bring it to you. Uh, Dr. Dusing is uh, one of the professors there, teaches historical theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the provost uh, of the school. Um, he and he has been teaching for for quite some time. He's got a PhD in historical theology, has been writing and contributing uh, to various outlets and different publications. He recently has a book uh, that came out. Actually, it's been quite some time that the book has has come out. I did the interview uh, several months ago, uh, but I've had a delay in my own life and just haven't had the ability to, to crank out episodes at the rate I'd wanted to. So I've got several interviews that I've done with people that are kind of backlogged, and this was one of them. Um, but really, really excited for you to hear from Dr. Dusing. Uh, his recent book is called Mere Hope, and the subtitle is Life in an Age of Cynicism. And in the book, he tackles the idea that we live in an age where there is a spirit of, of cynicism that is widespread, that is ubiquitous, that is prevalent in, in every genre of our society. And it seems like every person from every walk of life has some element of of the spirit of cynicism, and that the reality is this sort of is contrary to the hope we have in Christ. That ultimately the only thing that transcends the spirit of cynicism that is so prevalent in our age is indeed the Christ-centered life, or the hope that is birthed in the life of the, the believer. And ultimately, I think he does a fantastic job, both in the interview and in his book, uh, talking about this. Um, In the book, he uses uh, various uh, themes and even characters from different fictional stories uh, to really drive home some of his points. And I think it's really, really uh, both insightful and fun. And I know that Dr. Dusing really had that in mind. You'll hear him talk about that in the interview. His goal was not just to give great content, but was also to present it in a fun and unique way. So the content is extremely helpful, but I also think the the, the approach he had to writing the book, their style of writing, is both enjoyable and beneficial. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. And those of you who end up picking up a, a copy of the book later, I think you'll get a lot out of the book. Um, both in the interview and in the, in the book, he, he talks a lot about the, the darkness and despair that, that exists in this age. And yet in the midst of that, we have tremendous hope 
in Christ. When we consider some of the incredible tragedies and calamities that happen all around us, when we consider the amount of apathy that exists in our society, when we consider how much indifference there is to injustice, there seems to be a lot of reasons to be discouraged or to even feel depressed. There seems to be a lot of reasons to just think to yourself, what's the point? This life is too hard. It's too dark. But I think Dr. Dusing does a fantastic job, both in the interview and again also in his book, Mere Hope, to really talk about the genuine hope that we have in Christ. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Dusing. And we are on the line with Dr. Jason Dusing from the great city of Kansas City, Missouri. Dr. Dusing, thank you for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's really a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm loving it. Um, the I've already given the audience a preamble intro, intro, so they know that you are uh, that you, you are in leadership at the college that I am currently pursuing my master's at. So big, re- really, really excited to to have you. I'm really excited to have the audience le- learn from you. And so before we dive into uh, the content of your newest book, would love to just the audience to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you ended up doing where you, what you're doing today. Sure. Thanks so much. Well, as you mentioned, I work at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also Spurgeon College here in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm originally from Texas, though. I grew up in the Houston area and heard the gospel really for the first time as a junior and senior in high school. Trusted Christ my freshman year in college at the great Texas A&M University. So I'm one of those people. And uh, so my undergraduate experience was very much one of discipleship and a local church really pouring into and investing in me. And they helped me work through uh, what I was discerning as God calling me to the ministry, which led me to seminary, Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina. And then I ended up back in Texas at Southwestern Seminary to do a PhD. The way I'm wired is God gave me early on a heart for the nations and for international missions and also helped me to really fall in love with the things you talk about all the time on this podcast, the, the things of God as explained in his word. And uh, so I went to seminary thinking through, am I supposed to do missions? Am I supposed to pursue academics? And really, I, it's it's a treat. You know, we, we always end up exactly where God would have us to be. And so I get to sort of do and advance both things from this role I have here um, at Midwestern Seminary, uh, both helping to train and equip the next generation and also to send out from here. Uh, missionaries to the ends of the earth. So it's a, a real joy. I'm married and have four kids. And even though we're proud Texans, we've really enjoyed our time in Kansas City. It's a phenomenal city to live in and to raise a family. So we're really, really grateful to the Lord. That's that's uh, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I will not hold against you the fact that you're from Texas, I promise. Um, but you're from Houston, so that's not so bad. It's the Dallas people I have to show grace to. Yeah, yeah. Texas is a unique place. I'll just say that. <laughs> I love it. I actually lived in Texas briefly, and I actually enjoyed my time there. So uh, fantastic. Um, Dr. Deucing, you've got a new book out uh, called Mere Hope, and would love to ask you about what, what was the motivation for this book? You know, what, what was the thing that inspired you to want to write this book? Well, the, the subtitle of the book is Life in an Age of Cynicism. And cynicism is something that, you know, we're all, even believers in Christ Jesus, are tempted to fall into from time to time. And so we recognize that we live in a cynical age. But as you know, and your listeners will know, we as believers in Christ Jesus have every reason not to be cynical, but we often find ourselves drifting into that just by looking at the world around us. And so I wrote this brief book just to try to help us 
my own heart first sort of redirect our gaze mm-hmm. to the things that we know are true and important, the core central hope of the Christian faith, in a way hopefully that will encourage readers. Um, we live in an interesting time. We're bombarded 24 hours a day by the latest news, good and bad, and we struggle with how to process this. And so with increased technology has come really more and more awareness of the sin and fallen nature of the world. And so this is a brief book to try to help us recenter on the things and the reasons we have to have hope um, in this dark world. And it's a really, really great thought. I love the idea of you saying that I primarily wrote this for my own kind of readjustment of my own heart. So that's really good. Um, you, so you mentioned that this is the, or you allude to the fact that this is the age of cynicism. That's what you de- Can you define what do you mean by age of cynicism? And then maybe what are some of the factors that have led us to that, to this point? Sure. Well, in the book, I, I talk about, I spend some time defining cynicism, you know, even, even technically, but really I see cynical cynicism and cynical thinking playing out in two ways in the world. Uh, what I call active cynicism and passive cynicism. Active cynicism is a lot of what we think. It's uh, essentially it's functional atheism. You know, if 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 there is no God and no purpose in the world, well, then we should default be cynics. Um, we see that often in this in our culture of of sarcasm and our culture culture of distrust, the questioning of institutions, the questioning of leaders, the questioning of everything. This sort of active cynicism is on the surface what you think of when you think of a cynic. It's passive cynicism, though, that is more, much more prevalent within the church and among believers. We know we're not functional atheists. Um, we know that there is every reason to put trust in God and things like this. But functionally, we often act more as what I call passive cynics. Mm-hmm. Um, passive cynics know better. Um, they believe that Jesus is coming again. They believe that he will make all things true and right. But oftentimes we, we wrestle with how to handle that in a day-to-day environment. So one of the ways we see passive cynicism take root in our own hearts is simply through indifference. We get so weary with, you know, sinners acting like sinners, um, um, sin infiltrating the church, you know, people falling, people making mistakes, that we just grow indifferent. Uh, perhaps, you know, just sort of the colloquial phrase, whatever. You know, that's often our response to the world is just whatever. That again, you know, we follow, find our way into this passive cynicism. But your second point of sort of what's led us here, I think, is a, a little more little more interesting to pull back and to think through. When I was growing up, just to tell you a quick story, and in the, in the 1980s, which, um, you know, dates me as being someone in my mid-40s, there was a television show, a cartoon called The Jetsons. And I don't know if it's on Netflix or wherever today people can find it. But it's essentially this show about a family living in the future. And I remember as a young boy forced with, with household chores and things, watching the Jetsons thinking, man, wouldn't it be great to finally arrive at a place of technology where we have robots to do everything? So essentially the Jetsons portray a world where everything is automated awesomeness, like just technology solves all the problems. Well, fast forward to 2018, we're basically there. Um, we have technology. It has changed everything that we're doing, yet we still find ourselves in a predicament of things not being awesome. Um, there was a book written in the 1980s called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and it was essentially a, a work done by a sociologist saying that with the advent of television, this is even pre, pre-internet, that we've come to a place in our culture that we're going to essentially amuse ourselves to death. The fall of Western civilization is going to come through basically us gorging ourselves in entertainment. So we enter into an era where we have all the technology we could ever hope for, all the entertainment we could ever hope for. And that's left us feeling basically empty. 
Um, it used to be we would fear World War III or we would fear and fear government takeover. Uh, we don't have to have any of those catastrophes because we've basically decimated ourselves with technology and and entertainment. And so what we need to do is not be cynical about those things to recognize them and as believers in Christ Jesus root ourselves in something that's far more real than technology or entertainment or the latest fad or whatever else. And that's the truth found in the scriptures about the soon and coming return in Jesus Christ and why that gives us hope. That's a really, really great thought, by the way. I Maybe I'm dating myself, but I remember watching the Jetsons. I'm I'm almost 36, so I, I remember uh, watching them and think, thinking similar things. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, now, just a quick rabbit trail. I, I don't hear you saying that technology has caused this problem, which I think that's – I think there's a segment of maybe the, the boomer generation are saying – uh, that this is this was caused by technology. I don't hear you saying that, right? No, no, that's right. That's important clarification. So, technology has in fact solved a lot of our problems. And if you just think in terms of of even aiding in gospel advance, technology has accelerated the pace in which go- the gospel can be transmitted around the world. So, technology, in my mind, is a neutral thing. Um, but putting our hope in technology as the solver of all problems, that's we've clearly found that not to be not to be the ultimate solution. It's it's more of the point of what and what are we putting our trust mm. um, and what are we finding joy and what are we finding the solutions to our problems that technology ultimately isn't designed to do that and can't do that. Um, but yet we're led to believe it can. This idea of 24 hour connectedness is somehow going to bring the world closer together. And what we're finding it, it isn't doing that. Um, in fact, it may be creating more more divisions. And technology certainly isn't solving things like anxiety, even among believers in Christ. In fact, you could argue that it's creating more anxiety because we're aware of more and more things happening around the world. But yeah, no, technology is a neutral thing. Um, I think we should capture it and use it in a positive direction. As you were talking, I was reminded of a quick conversation I had with someone a few days ago who was telling me that he read a blog post. I don't remember exactly where he was getting this from. That supposedly there, you know, that some university in New England, maybe it was Harvard, that their bioinformatics department was on the edge of having collected just enough information to get us to the point where they can regenerate any part of the human body. And life expectancy, when this becomes available, will be 500, 600 years. Wouldn't that be great? And I almost I heard the sentiment behind his words was less about the information, whether or not it's accurate or not. But it was this idea of like, wouldn't that be great? That could solve so much of the issues we're having. And I, I think what you're saying is what I could diagnose in him, this idea that this this innovation or this technology, whatever it is, is going to bring some great positive hope. And you could see that his trust was in that, obviously wrongly. Um, right. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people in a, with a lot of different bits of technology out there. Yeah, I think we just have to be careful. Again, I'm all for the latest advance and the way it can help us. I'll, I'll tell you a similar story. Uh, I think it was January of last year, the cover of uh, National Geographic magazine was celebrating the centennial of the national park system in the United States. And they had sent a photographer to Yosemite National Park to take a iconic picture of one of the great landmarks in that national park. But what that photographer did was something very unique. He set up a camera to take a bunch of digital, you know, thousands of digital pictures over a 24-hour period. And then he stitched those pictures together into one frame, essentially to show that that mountainside in a 24-hour, capture 24 hours in one frame, if you will. So it's stitched together. So if you look at it, at first it's this big, beautiful picture, but then the more you zoom in, you see 
half of it's in darkness, half of it's in light. Mm-hmm. Some people are wearing jackets, some people aren't. And it's this distort, really, it's a distortion of reality because you can't capture 24 hours in, in one frame, although he's attempting to do it. So what you think is, wow, that's neat, that's beautiful. The more you look at it, you realize, no, no, this is actually unnatural. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And I think oftentimes it's when we have misplaced hope, we put it in technology and things that it's going to solve all these problems when actually we were never meant to have all of our things, you know, in that instance, all of time presented to us at once. God means for us not to know the end from the beginning always in his wisdom. So, yeah, it's it's a misplaced hope phenomenon oftentimes with technology. And obviously, I mean, I'm sure lots of previous generations have done similar mispla- misplacement of trust and hope in other things. It just happens to be this is the age and we're living in today. And so obviously the source of our hope is not technology or any other item. The source of our hope is, as you said, the, the truth that we see found in the scriptures. Um, there's a great quote that you, that you use from C.S. Lewis. Uh, can, can you unpack that thought that there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis talking about the idea that, um, you know, where when he uses the term mere, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so the title of the book is Mere Hope, and I intentionally mean to use the word mere the way C.S. Lewis used it in his famous book, Mere Christianity. Uh, That book is really, if you know the story, the collection of a few radio addresses C.S. Lewis gave during World War II to the British people. The, The BBC radio folks wanted to bring in someone who could articulate to the nation the basics of Christianity at a time of great crisis, but they wanted a layman to do it. They didn't want to a professional clergyman or something like this, so they bring in C.S. Lewis, and he gives these presentations of, and so if you and if you think about that, you're asked to go on C-SPAN or whatever to tell the nation what is the essence of Christianity, you're going to think about it in a very concrete, simplistic, you know, essential sort of way. And so mere Christianity is essentially capturing the core of Christianity. That's how he means to use mere. He doesn't mean mere as in meek or slight but core or central. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about the biblical concept of hope, I too wanted to limit it to just focus on what's the core of our hope found in the Bible. Um, Certainly the word hope is used hundreds of times in the Old and New Testament. You can explore all different aspects of hope from a theological perspective. You can focus on hope just in terms of end times or eschatology. I touch on some of that in the book, but really in a book this size, meant to be read by um, ordinary men and women, boys and girls sitting in church pews. I wanted to focus on the central core of our hope, what's what's essential. And it, because partly, I think if we can refocus on those things, that will help us in this age of cynicism. Just to, you know, if I can only grab on to four or five things to help get through my day, what are those four or five things? And that's part of what I hope to outline in the book. It's all, that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to go off script just a tad bit here for a moment. So if someone is reading this book, the average person, let's mid twenties, um, you know, maybe they're a college grad, maybe not. And they're reading this book when, by the time they're done or by the time they've gotten through a chunk of the book, what would, what are they going to walk away with? What are maybe, what, what is a handful of things that they're going to have been challenged with or some thoughts are going to be given to chew on that they'll walk away with? Yeah. So the, the, one of the way, one of my heroes, authors and theologians is J.I. Packer, who's uh, now almost 90 or is 90. Um, but what he did in a previous generation, he's a theologian, but he was masterful at taking theological concepts and applying them for everyday people in a way that's devotional and encouraging and uplifting. And I could never be J.I. Packer. This book isn't even my attempt to try because I don't think that can really be done. But it is in that same spirit, that's what I'm trying to do, is to take some really some core theological truths 
and apply them in a way that that helps and encourage. There, there's so many books out there, wonderful books of, you know, here are 10 steps to do this or or five things to incorporate into your daily time with the Lord. This, that's not what this book is. This book is merely an, an offering that one can work through hopefully quickly and they should walk away encouraged and perhaps having their focused reset. Mm. So one of the ways I do that is really just focusing on where are we setting our minds and hearts. And I take Matthew 6.22, when Jesus is simply reminding that the eye is the lamp of the body. Essentially, my paraphrase, it really matters where you look, matters what you take into your mind through your eyes, mm. uh, both literally and um, metaphorically. And so I take the book in each chapter, just sort of refocusing our gaze on hope from a different perspective of where to look. And so each chapter helps them to do that. And then I conclude with some practical things of how to you know, apply this to everyday life in the sense of when you're laying there in the bed in morning, in the morning, debating whether it's even worth getting up that day, even though you know you will, but there's that 30 minutes of what planet am I on? What are some things you can be doing even in that moment to refocus your hope? Because so much of it is just training our minds and hearts to be thinking about the right thing, being, being proactive um, and attacking the day in that way. That's really, really good stuff. Um, it's so easy to, you know, just allow the the calendar or the the stuff of life to sort of kind of just take precedent and and just kind of bumble along or stumble along through the morning or whatever it is. And I, I find myself that you know it could be I'm at the office for a couple hours and it's ten or eleven a.m. and I think, man, I haven't really thought about Jesus much this morning. Like it's just so easy to allow my to do list or my emails to kind of bombard my thoughts. And so I like the idea of saying, hey, we're going to make an intent. We're going to make an intentional to really kind of reset my thought process and what I look upon, like you said, yeah. both metaphorically and, and actually speaking. Um, that's really, really good. Okay, random question. I love to ask authors this because um, I, 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 I published a book a few years ago, and it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. What is your favorite chapter? Have you, as you, you, you have a personal favorite from the book? Well, I, uh, I mean, in a sense, you know, when you write it, you get to sort of dump in all the things that you're, are your favorites. Right, that's um, a good point. But if I have to zero in, it's, it's chapter four. And in that chapter, I've been looking at hope, the, the foundation of our hope, looking to Jesus Christ as the source of our hope. And then chapter four, I twist a little bit and I say, now that we're aware of this hope that is within us in Christ Jesus, this hope is something that's meant to be shared. That, that this idea of focusing on hope is not purely introspection. There's some of that. But if we're really focusing on hope, it's we're going to follow Jesus and take that hope outward. And in chapter 4, I really talk about what I call the flourishing of hope, and that the Bible talks about Jesus as being the hope of the nations. Mm. And that if we have this biblical hope, it's a hope that's meant to be shared. That if we're rightly focusing on hope, one of the ways to avoid cynicism is to really stop thinking about ourselves at all, and focusing on others, and particularly the ends of the earth. And so in that chapter, I really sort of flesh out, it's not so much about you and your own heart anymore, it's about what do we, what's our responsibility with this hope to take that hope to the ends of the earth. That's really, really, that's really great. Uh, as you were just saying that, I'm reminded of a, a book I read many years ago by John Piper, Let the, Let the Nations Be Glad, and uh, just, yeah, the reminder that ultimately the, the, the hope of the nations is Christ. And right here in the U.S., we're putting our many who are putting their hope in things wrongly. Other countries, it's going to be different, but ultimately it's the same thing. It's a misplaced hope in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So it's such a great, such a great reminder. Um, Dr. Dusing, as our time winds down, just thank you again so much for investing in our audience. Um, as people are, are hopefully, you know, potentially buying the book and reading the book, 
Um, closing thoughts, closing bits of encouragement you would give people, uh, whether whether they choose to read the book or if they if they're just listening to this content. What's kind of the one closing encouragement or challenge you'd give to anyone listening to this? Well, one thing I want to mention as well is that, um, you know, I, I teach uh, church history and other classes here. And one of the ways I've found that really can help encourage believers in their faith is not only to unpack biblical truth, obviously, first and foremost as our foundation, but adding color to those truths by using figures throughout history or in literature. And so one of the things I do in this book is I invite J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis in his conversation partners in different ways to sort of illustrate. And so if your listeners are any way intrigued by their writings, they'll find commonality with what I'm attempting to. Again, I can't do it nearly as well as they did, but that's an an offering or or really an attempt to honor them and how I'm going about it. Um, But so that's an aspect of this book as well. But really, the length is by design. It's not a very long book. It's something someone can read in a weekend. And I, I hope if people are really sort of even tired of one more book that they'll give at least just this one book one try because it's not something that's meant to beat them over the head. It's hopefully to put wind in their sails and to encourage them just to refocus in this very dark time. That's really good. I, I, I got to press in just for a second on uh, – tell me a little – just give us a quick insight, maybe an example of how you used either Lewis or, or Tolkien in, as, a, as, as you call it, as a, as a writing partner or conversation yeah. partner. Yeah, so, um, you know, I love those figures um, on, for a thousand reasons and have written some about them. Uh, I talk a little bit about even just the way mere Christianity and mere. As far as Tolkien goes, particularly, I, I root some illustrations in various aspects of The Lord of the Rings. So if, if, if all people know about Tolkien are the movies, um, they won't be lost by what I'm saying. I'm not totally geeking out on, you know, super technical things about The Lord of the Rings, but I am using bits and pieces from his story that illustrate some of this biblical truth. So one of the ways I close the book is talking about the time at which the fellowship is forced to go into the mines under a mountain in order to get through. And the way in which they find their way through that very dark place is by looking forward at a glimmer of light. And the Mm -hmm. wizard Gandalf, who's normally omniscient, like he sort of knows everything in this instant, isn't sure which way to go. And he says, well, if we just look toward the light, perhaps that can lead our way out. And so I draw on that as a metaphor to say that, you know, the way in which we're to live through this dark culture, I believe, is by looking to these well-placed sources of light, truth, using them as our guide, but not to forget that we're meant to traverse through this dark culture as a fellowship. The way in which we survive is through local churches and bodies of believers working together together seeking these well-placed sources of light of truth and using them as guides to get through dark paths. So that's the type of thing I do. It just provides, hopefully, some good entertainment, but also some color. Uh, I just think what those what those men in particular did through their writing can be very instructive for us today. That's really good. What, what I hear you doing in this book is, is not necessarily just the typical, and I don't mean this to be condescending toward other Christian living books and theology books. I don't mean that at all. It, it feels a little bit doesn't, doesn't it feels a little atypical in that you, maybe you're, you're bringing in some pieces of literature or some thoughts that maybe they wouldn't get from a typical Christian living theology book out there. So that sound that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I hope I hope it will be a joy to read, not just for the content, but the way in which I've attempted to write it as well. Yeah. And and I guess that the 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 final encouragement I'd give to everyone listening to this a reminder is the idea that. It, it, it does take some element of intentionality, some element of doing it on purpose to reset our hope. If if we don't do it on purpose, it just it won't happen. That's right. That's you know, we'll, good. That's a good word. 
We'll, 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 I, I know myself. I'm, I'm so, as the old hymn says, prone to wander. And um, therefore, without doing it intentionally, without intentionally looking to his grace and looking to Jesus, my, my heart would be prone to wander away from that truth. So, yeah, uh, me Dr. too. Man, Dr. Ducey, thank you so much for taking time out. If anyone listening to this wants to follow you or connect with all things you're doing, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Uh, you can find me at most social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, uh, via my uh, initials, J, G as in George, Ducing, D-U-E-S-I-N-G. Um, you can find me at those places. Also, my personal website is jgducing.com. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we'll have all those linked up on the show notes. So anyone listening to this can uh, can uh, head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com, and we'll make sure we'll have all those uh, in the show notes for this episode. Again, Dr. Ducing, thank you so much for taking time out investing in the audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And there you have it, my interview with Dr. Ducing. I love to get a chance to chat with him. I hope and pray that the insights from that interview were helpful for you and encouraging, uh, insightful in, in one way or another. And if you want to do some additional reading on the topic, again, encourage you to get a copy of the book. It's called Mere Hope by Dr. Jason Ducing. Uh, last thing I want to just say to everyone listening to this, if you are a Christian, you have the hope of Christ. And I want that to inspire you and encourage you and be the foundation of your life. If you are listening to this and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to say thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to know that you can have the hope of Christ, that in Christ you can have hope in the, in spite of the fact that we live in a world that seems so doom and gloom sometimes, that seems so desperate and dark, that you can have Christ and that he births in you the greatest hope that you could ever have, a hope that transcends this age of cynicism. If you have any questions about that, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to uh, shoot me an email. If you have any questions about anything I said or Dr. Deucing said, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot me an email. The best address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or if you know someone you think would make a great interview guest, I'd also love to hear from you. Shoot me an email to that same email address. Or find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.